Welcome back to Riff Ram Review right here on 88.7 The Choice, your choice for college radio. My name's Ian Nepetian, and today I'm joined alongside Zion Trammell and Seth Dowdle, but we do have an incredibly special guest joining us today here in the studio. He's radio play-by-play voice of the Texas Rangers, Rangers pre- and post-game show host on 105.3 The Fan, and the founder of the Sandlot Children's Charity. Welcome to the studio, Jared Sandler. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. The incredibly special guest is probably overstating <laughs> just a little bit, but uh, I appreciate it. It's a very kind uh, kind introduction, and this is this is an awesome setup. I'm, I'm pumped to join you guys. No, thank you so much, and again, really appreciate you carving some time out for us here uh, in the studio. We obviously know that you're super busy, um, but firstly, we wanted to congratulate you for, for all the work that you guys did this last season, you alongside Matt Hicks, Eric Nadell, and obviously for winning the uh, for 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 winning the big ring at the end. So so congratulations on that. Thanks. It was it was really special. You know, there's certain things you you don't know if they're going to happen, or you do know they're going to happen, and then when they do happen, you wake up the next day and it's kind of like oh that that's it, you know, and you move on with your life. And obviously, there are more important things in life than the Rangers winning the World Series. But it definitely did not uh, it did not disappoint. It was a, an incredibly special playoff run and you know you look back now on the the whole season and knowing the ending just thinking back on some of those moments and then obviously the world series and and game five specifically really cool and everything that ensued thereafter and you know even just people coming up and sharing their story of why it meant so much to them and you know their history as a rangers fan you just you realize uh how much it it does impact people and you know that's really neat too so it was a it was a really cool experience i would love to experience it again but uh if that never happens if we go another 50 plus years without a rangers world series to be able to just say i got to experience that once is uh, something i'll cherish forever yeah for sure and and i i guess just before we get into you know the the, the questions and things like that tell our audience just a little bit about yourself who you are, where you're from, and, and kind of your your career through broadcasting from you know even starting from USC if if you want. Yeah, I uh, grew up in Dallas, uh, went to Green Hill, and then went to USC. Sports has been a huge part of my life. Uh, family, the grandfather was a Olympic sprinter. My dad was a professional soccer player. Brothers uh, played sports in college, and uh, from you know, my earliest memories, my life is revolved around sports and, you know, one of several capacities. And when I went to school at USC and sort of made the decision that I didn't want to keep playing sports because I wasn't going to play professionally, I'm very, for better or for worse, I'm kind of type A, so schedule oriented. And my mind was thinking about, you know, what I would pursue professionally. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes whether or not you know, it would have made sense to just, you know, play out the string a little bit and go somewhere where broadcasting wasn't going to be the focus. But I decided to go to USC. They had a good broadcasting program and uh, was able to get involved with a lot of the athletic programs there from a broadcast standpoint. And uh, I, I learned throughout those four years at USC and then some summer broadcasting opportunities that broadcasting was something I wanted to do. I didn't know if I was going to be any good at it, but uh, I did, you know, I went there thinking it's what I wanted to do, but you don't know until you try it and loved it. And then I spent a summer in Great Falls, Montana after graduating broadcasting for the Great Falls Voyagers. Uh, and then two 
ish years in Michigan, and then I was able to come back to Dallas and. Uh, I worked at ESPN Radio in Dallas for nine months and then got the job that I currently have, which was always the dream to be able to broadcast Major League Baseball. And, you know, if if I had the ability to, you know, be very selective, it would be to broadcast for the team that I grew up rooting for, which, of course, was the Texas Rangers. So, so I mean, just how, how special is that for you? I, I mean, just like you said there, it's everyone's dream to become the, the, the voice of your very team that you grew up with. What what has that experience been like since you started working there? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it could go in a couple different directions. I guess you know it, it could you could be disenchanted, and now all of a sudden this this thing that was so important to you growing up is no longer special. But thankfully, that hasn't happened. I mean, I've I've if anything fallen even more in love with the organization, getting to know the people who are a part of it. Whereas you know, growing up was just watching through a TV screen or listening through the radio. Uh, but it's it's been really cool. It's cool to be here. I think the the coolest part of it uh, is that I'm with my family. You know, my my family's from South Africa, so all my extended family is there. My only uh, stateside family is is in the DFW area, and I met my wife and her family's all here too. So, uh, you know, I, I don't have to worry about sneaking home for Thanksgiving or winter break, uh, you know, holidays to see family. And, you know, I got nieces and nephews, you know, everyone's here and I get to share in this experience with them, you know, having my family attend, you know, a World Series game or just, you know, being able to broadcast for a team that my friends care about, you know, is really neat. And then for me individually, you know, I think I'd probably be passionate about any team uh, for which I got to broadcast games because, again, you get to know the people and it becomes even more uh, real life, you know, and when there are people whose livelihoods are impacted, but I mean, I, I didn't have to manufacture any interest or passion because I I was passionate about it. And then, you know, the other thing is I, I, I know what it means to be a Rangers fan. You know, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm fortunate. I've never really lost that. You know, I, I hope I don't cross any lines when broadcasting, uh, obviously a home broadcast, you're probably going to be able to tell that they, are a little more excited for one team as opposed to the other. But, uh, you know, I don't want to do anything that, that uh, tilts the scales too much. But, you know, I think I also I, – I, I get it. I understand the struggles of a Rangers fan and, and now the joys of what 2023 meant because I am one. I, I don't have to fake it. It's not something I've grown into. It's something that from my earliest memories I was. Yeah. Now, now I guess transitioning to last season, an absolute roller coaster of highs and lows and – what for you were those emotions like with that final out when Josh Josh Spores strikes out Cattell Marte, um, and you hear your broadcast partner Eric, Eric Nadell make that call? What were those emotions for you personally, perhaps as a fan, but also as a broadcaster, someone that knows the Rangers through and through? Yeah, I, so I, I'm down on the field in the ninth inning or in the the tunnel, uh, right next to the Diamondbacks dugout, and, and have a good view of the game. Uh, but on the field, getting ready to go on the field for the post-game uh, portion of our, our coverage. Uh, and so I'm standing next to Emily Jones, uh, big TCU supporter, yep. by the way. Uh, awesome. And, you know, I, I've been with Emily since I started and, and incredibly close to her. So it was really neat to kind of be next to say, if I wasn't going to be able to to be in the booth with Matt and Eric, it was, it was cool to be with Emily. You know, I didn't feel like I was alone just – surrounded only by the the national folks you know all the other people covering the the games and 
it was just like uh, going into the ninth, it was one nothing. And based on the Rangers' history, I don't know that you feel too good about that. Uh, and then the Rangers added two runs on a, a Jonah Heim single that got past uh, Alec Thomas, the center fielder, uh, and Jonah ended up getting to third. And now it's three nothing. You're like, holy smokes. Uh, is this this is maybe going to happen? And then Marcus Simeon hit a home run, and now it's five nothing, and uh, it's going to happen. And and I remember my heart just started pounding. And you know, in the the bottom of the ninth, it was just let's get through this. Like I, it, it's going to happen. I mean, I, I know anything can happen, but like in my head, you're just waiting for three more outs. And when it happened, it kind of went into work mode because now I got to you know I'm waiting for them to give me the the you know, all, all clear to get on the field. And I got to figure out, you know, who I'm going to talk to and get these interviews lined up. But like, I'd say that's 80% of me, but 20% of me was like, holy smokes, the Rangers just won the world. <laughs> like I'm looking around and, and the, you know, the other part too, is I, 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 I didn't want to take, I don't want to say I didn't take the, the job seriously, but I definitely took a moment to appreciate it. Right. You don't know when this will happen again. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people you, you, you spend so much time with, travel with, uh, you know, they, they are, I mean, the cliche as it goes, you know, they're kind of your family for eight months out of the year. And there's a lot of hugging and congratulating. And, uh, you know, it was just it was it was special. I was trying to do interviews while people were hugging me or, you know, I, was, I needed to go and just give a hug to this person. And then going into the clubhouse for the champagne celebration. I mean, that was just surreal. And. Same thing. I, I, you know, I'm trying to navigate through champagne that's getting sprayed, that's getting in my eyes inadvertently, or people pouring stuff on me uh, while trying to do my job. And uh, hopefully, I was able to balance it. But I, I, again, same thing. I took a second to just appreciate that this happened, and then also think of how lucky I am that you know I have a job where I'm, I'm here for this. Right? I'm. I'm experiencing this live and you know I think the emotions really kicked in afterwards went up to the booth and we had you know extended post-game coverage and just sitting with with Matt and Eric and you know Eric's been my mentor since I was 17 and I am incredibly close with him uh you know Eric doesn't have kids and so I know I mean he said to me on a number of occasions and it, it is one of the most meaningful statements I've ever heard in my life that uh you know I'm like a son to him and he's like another dad to me and knowing what he went through last year, dealing with some of the mental health struggles and the anxiety. Uh, and, and also knowing that, you know, I, I, I know that he thought that that moment would never happen. Right. Uh, forget the, the health stuff, you know, 2011 passed. And then, you know, the run that kind of ended after 2016 and you start losing a lot of games. Like, is this ever going to happen? And I was just so happy for him that he had that moment. And I got emotional on air sharing that with him uh, and just getting to to share that moment with, with Eric and Matt was really cool. Yeah, just sounds like an incredible experience, all the heartbreak over the years, finally getting that big moment. Um, in 2023, we saw a lot of young guys come up with the Rangers, but obviously Evan Carter was the standout. Uh, for someone so young in in baseball, he just seemed to stand out in such big moments. What would you say? What would you attribute that to? Well, definitely, 
you know, Evan's a, a bright guy. Uh, he wanted to be a dentist. You know, he didn't. Evan, he, small town, Tennessee. Uh, you're not exposed to the rest of the country when all you all your baseball knowledge is just kind of in the area. He didn't do. I mean, a lot of people talked about how you know, he didn't do those national showcases and stuff. So he wasn't stacking himself up against you know the best of the best in high school. So you know, he didn't know that he was any good right until. Uh, some scouts saw him, liked him, and next thing you know, he's getting drafted and getting a, a seven-figure bonus. But I, I just think he's a really bright guy and is able to process things. I, I remember early on, we I, I was debating a player, and I don't want to say his name because of what I'm about to say, uh, and someone shared with me, he's he's not smart enough. Like, he's he is not a smart guy. He, it's not going to work out for him. And I remember saying, that, that doesn't mean anything. Because you think about you know, guys who uh, probably don't go to class in college or care much. Uh, you know, In high school, guys that come straight from high school to the NBA back when I was growing up, when that was allowed. Uh, listen, some of the best athletes aren't, aren't Rhodes Scholars. But I've come to learn that it's, it's, not, it's not that. It's not... You know, were they valedictorians, this or that? Although he was, I think, uh, salutatorian or maybe finished third in his class. But it's your ability to, to mentally process stuff and tr- uh, troubleshoot, problem solve. You know, it, for a baseball player, when you do have that inevitable slump or slumps in a given season, how you go about mentally handling it and, and figuring out ways to get out of it. And same thing in basketball or, you know, all this stuff, football how you consume film, right? You know, it, and so it's not about where you get at BC Calculus, but I do think there is a mental component that some of the best athletes have that maybe some of the lesser athletes lack. And I don't know how to measure it. I know they try with all the different testing in the NFL Combine. I don't know. You know, C.J. Stroud was awful at that stuff, and look at, you know, what he's done. So I, I don't know how to measure that, but there's something there. And Evan has that. I, he just... I think he, he he approaches situations in a way where mentally he he frames it in 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 a way that makes sense to him and, and doesn't make it too big of a moment. I think naturally he also is just kind of a very even kill guy and then let's not forget incredibly talented. I, I you know, I do a podcast with Nate Lowe and one of the first things he said after Evans debut in the regular season, he's like, This guy doesn't know how good he is. Like he doesn't realize how special of a player he can be, and that when that comes from a peer, a veteran who's established, uh, you know that that means something. And he obviously put it on full display in October, and uh, the Rangers probably don't win a World Series without him. Yeah, and on the flip side, you know, you talk about the youth of Evan Carter. There was, um, you know, the veteran presence, Seager, Simeon, Evaldi. Heck, you know, even throwing, you know, Bruce Bochy and how much experience he's, he's had. How much do you, you know? I mean, you get a, a good insight into the uh, inner workings of a baseball team uh, as as the broadcaster. What insight would you give to people about how, you know, people that have been in the game, played the game a long time, give to younger guys like Evan or just, you know, the team as a whole? Yeah, I think so. A lot's made of, you know, these intangible things, right? Mm-hmm. Chemistry and this and that and uh you know, these guys like each other, so they're going to win. I, I remember in 2016, the Blue Jays hated each other, but they swept the Rangers in the first round. I mean, that was not a clubhouse that was very together. I mean, you could probably yeah. spin it certain ways, but, you know, that was a nice reminder that things like that are, oh, you got to be hot going into the playoffs. Well, the Rangers weren't, and they won the mm-hmm. World Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
I think, you know, for Bruce Bochy's standpoint, first of all, I, I'm obviously not privy to the X's and O's baseball discussions that he always has with these guys, but there's no doubt that he, whether it's passing on information to the coaches who then relay to the players or those direct conversations with the players, he, you know, he he's incredibly valuable. I think what what Bruce Bochy did that impacted the players, especially the young guys, was, you know, as as the season you know, as any season does, experience the ups and downs. He was the same guy. You would never know. Uh, you would never know on a given day if the Rangers had won their tenth straight the night before, or lost their tenth straight. You, you know, and, and specific to this season, you would never have known that the Rangers had just lost their fifth game in the last uh, six with you know another late inning lead blown, which that happened in a critical juncture of the season. They were really struggling, and they lost control of the division. But you would never have known that. And I think that stuff I – don't, I don't know that you can communicate that. I think you can say, hey, guys, stay calm. But, I, I mean, how often do you guys get told something? It's like, oh, easier said than done. Yeah. But when you see people doing it and you see your manager who's got skins on the wall, you see your best players, I think that stuff's really important. Now, you know, guys like Mitch Garver, Nate Lowe, they love talking hitting. There's no doubt that – you know they're sharing what they're experiencing with some of the younger guys. Marcus Simeon's you know been through so much. Corey Seager had won a World Series before. You know I think those conversations are really important. I I do think that guys talk shop and trade ideas, exchange you know their 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 own personal kind of scouting reports on pitchers, uh, how they attack you know you know me in this situation and that situation, but. I just think there's there's so much value in the observation part of it, and when uh, guys are, are carrying themselves in a certain way from a, a you know the mental viewpoint, I think that that has a big impact. But uh, I, I do think that there's a lot of support in this clubhouse. I'll, I'll give an example: Evan Carter makes that catch against Jose Altuve uh, in what was it game one yeah. of, of yeah. the of the ALCS and. You know, a lot was made how before the game, Robbie Grossman, Travis Jankowski went out there with him. Guys who are losing playing time to him, they took him out there and they shared their experiences of dealing with the short wall that the Crawford boxes and left and the angle uh, that that wall takes to create the, the left center field portion of the field and how the garage, the garage doors and the columns all impact everything. And, you know, Evan Carter that night gets put into a, a, a big spot, big opportunity, and makes a series changing catch possibly. Uh, and so those are the things where I think it really comes to, to the forefront. You get guys who put their egos aside and make decisions, have conversations, share information for the betterment of the team, even if it's directly helping someone who's taking you know, opportunities away from them. So as we look ahead to 2024, the the Rangers, they've added some bullpen arms and veteran bullpen arms and David Robertson and Kirby Yates. Uh, they re-signed Jankowski, brought in uh, Tyler Malley. What have you made of the offseason move so far for the Rangers? Yeah, so I think a lot of people have thought, well, you know, because of the Bally stuff, they, you know, that's why they're not spending big. And there's no doubt that that situation has contributed to you know, how they've approached things. But I think you could also make a case that this was the perfect offseason for the Rangers to not need to spend big. They've spent almost a billion dollars the last couple off seasons, 
and they've got a really good roster. It's just about plugging holes and uh, and I think you know they've they've certainly done a nice job with the bullpen. They are because of the pitching moves they've made and the injury that they learned about this offseason to Max Scherzer. They are in a position where they probably still need to add some bullpen depth, or excuse me, some rotation depth, uh, because Tyler Malley won't be available till the middle of the year. DeGrom, not till the middle of the year. Scherzer, same thing. Plus, I mean, you know, you can't rely on the five that you have, and they do have five. Uh, you can't rely on them to be healthy uh, the whole way. But, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think – you know, they didn't make the big splash, and that's okay. Uh, there is possibly, you know, another big move left. Uh, but, you know, they, they've fixed up some holes, and I think they've put themselves in a really good position to run it back. And, you know, the Rangers had success after two really strong off seasons, But more often than not, the team that spends big in the off season isn't necessarily the team that wins big at the end of the, the day, right? When I mean, we see this uh, in all sports. And so... And I get it. From a fan's perspective, it's tough to get pumped up about the role player acquisitions. But, you know, Travis Jankowski was a huge part of last season. And I don't think anyone batted an eye when they signed him last offseason, right? I'm not saying he's going to replicate that this year. But those are sometimes the moves that really are the difference makers. And those are the types of moves I think they've, they've attempted to make while, you know, obviously being mindful of the, the bottom line. Uh, and then there's luxury tax implications, which, you know, it, that's a, probably a more in-depth conversation for another time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of, I guess, uh, and you mentioned the Bally's part and, and everything, but what's your gauge on the Jordan Montgomery situation? So even that, like, I, I think there, there are a lot of people who think, oh, well, had it not been for the Bally stuff, the Rangers would have already signed him. Mm-hmm. I definitely think there's interest, but I also think there are baseball reasons why the Rangers maybe haven't pulled the trigger yet, right? Uh He's north of 30, and I think when the Rangers acquired him in the regular season, they kind of had a thought as the regular season, uh, you know, was or as he was pitching in the regular season for the Rangers, that at around the 75-80 pitch mark, things started to tail off a little bit. Now, obviously, it was great in the postseason, but you're going to probably have to give him a hundred plus million dollars. And do you want to do that for another pitcher who's north of 30, who you already maybe think? Stamina wise, isn't you know at a hundred percent, and and that's not to say th- you know guys change right. Trajectories are not always uh, you know they don't always progress in the same direction. Uh, but you know you got Jacob Degrom who you've paid a lot of money to already north of thirty. Uh, do you want to do that again with Jordan Montgomery? Again, there's the luxury tax side of things in which you know the Rangers are in a position where they might need to really make some some tough financial decisions unless they want to, you know, hinder their draft position and, and all these things. I I think the Rangers are in a position where it would be awesome if they could point to one or two guys in their system who they'd feel comfortable from the beginning of the season taking some of the load in the in the rotation. But that's that's unfortunately been a gap for the Rangers. They don't have that. Uh will the Rangers sign Montgomery? I still tend to think they won't, and I, I think some of it is strategic baseball, you know, reasoning. Uh, but you know, I, I, it's definitely not a, it's definitely not a, a, a done deal that they won't. And as other teams make moves to acquire their pitchers, you know, maybe it, it it shrinks Jordan's market and it puts the Rangers in a position where it, it does make more sense from a financial position. So, of course, depending on what the decision is for Jordan Montgomery, uh, how would you arrange the rotation uh, in the 
first half of the season before the reinforcements arrive here in the second half? Well, I'll, I'll guess I'll, I'll answer it this way. The guy, the five guys who would make up that rotation, you got Evaldi, Dunning, Gray, Heaney, and Bradford. The order to me, I mean, I, I, I think Evaldi deserves to start opening day. That's, you know, obviously a big honor, and it's going to be at home. Sometimes when you start on the road, you kind of – can can give two guys the honor. You get the opening day starter and then the home opening starter, but the Rangers will will have opening day at home. And then after that, I mean, I, I guess to me, maybe you go John Gray next, but it gets mixed and, and matched. You know, you skip some guy start and now they you know fit him in in this spot uh, or that spot. But I I think those are probably the five guys. Now that's assuming all five guys stay healthy between now and opening day, and so. That's where the Rangers need to add some protection because obviously they didn't feel good enough about Owen White at the end of last year. And I don't know that enough can happen between now and opening day to where you're like, yeah, I do feel good about him being in the rotation. Uh, you know, and, and Jack Leiter's not, in, I don't think, in that spot yet, although he did have a better end to the 2023 season and maybe is a candidate at some point this year to come up. So what do the Rangers do? Well, it's tough to just stockpile veteran starters because if they don't know that they're going to be in your rotation they're either not signing with you or they've got an out in their contract where at the end of spring training they can they can leave so even if there's an injury and you have one of those veteran guys you bring on a minor league deal with an invite to big league spring training and he's not opting out because of injury a he's going to be in the rotation you still are, are thin. You still are going to lose the veterans who aren't going to be in the rotation. And so the Rangers desperately either need to sign someone who is a for sure starting pitcher, and now you maybe put Andrew Heaney in a hybrid role. Dane Dunning could do that as well. You know, whatever you want to do to give you some more depth. Or you just got to hope that some of your young guys take steps forward and are ready to make three to five starts if needed over the first few months of the season. Now, kind of piggybacking off the reinforcements, even just promoting guys up to the big leagues. Obviously, we saw it with Evan Carter last season. What At what point do you think Wyatt Lankford comes up to the big leagues? And and, and how would the outfield kind of look with that with the Rangers and, and um, whether it's Wyatt Lankford or, or even other prospects that you have your eye on? Who are some guys that you think the Rangers can bring up? Yeah, so, I mean, Wyatt Lankford's obviously leaps and bounds above anyone else. And, and he might be on the opening day roster. You know, if, if he has a... I think you always got to be careful about making decisions based on a spring training, you know, set of games for a guy because, I mean, it, it time and time again, spring training production, you know, doesn't necessarily guarantee regular season production. But sometimes it's what you got to go off of. I think the Rangers and they haven't tipped their hand at all. Perhaps internally, they they're of the mindset we don't care what he does in spring training. He's going to start in AAA. Let's give him a month's worth of at-bats, and then we'll call him up. Or maybe they have the mindset of, no, no. I mean, he you know, he could you know, he could or should be on our opening day roster. And my guess is there are people in the front office who feel that way, and there are people in the front office who feel like he should just start in AAA. Uh, I, I do think the opening day thing's a possibility, and you're one injury away from where it's not just a possibility. It's probably you know, almost a guarantee, right? Uh where he fits, you know, he's too good of an athlete. He's not, over the course of his career, he's not going to be just a DH-only guy. But who are you going to take, you know, time away from? You, you don't want 
to limit Evan Carter's reps, he might be your best defensive outfielder. Adolis Garcia just won a gold glove. I, I don't think you want to just tell Adolis, hey, uh, we're going to kind of have you as a you know part-time DH. Yeah. Yeah. And if Laoti Tavares is in the lineup, a big chunk of his value is what he does defensively. So DHing Laoti doesn't really make sense. I think that you know what you can do, and, and this is where you know Bruce Bochy has to you know tap into his experience to try find the right balance. You know maybe Evan Carter sits against some tough lefties. You don't want to just bury him against lefties because then he's not going to be able to grow against lefties. All right, well they're White Langford in the lineup there. Uh, Adolis Garcia shouldn't be a part time DH, but you know once every two weeks I don't think it. You know, it is a, a silly idea to have him DH just for his body preservation. I think there's some data out there that shows with a day off or a DH day, his production actually spikes up. I mean, he's he's not getting any younger. He's a big body. He's the type of guy who might wear down a little bit. You don't want that. Uh, and what if Laoti Tavares really struggles, right? He had, he had a really nice year last year, took a step forward. What if that doesn't happen? Well, again, problem solved. And someone is going to get hurt. I hate to say it. I mean, it just it's rare that... You have three outfielders who stay in that spot all year. I think it's important that White Langford gets time in the outfield. I think it's really tough to have a, a young guy who's trying to establish himself at the big league level DH. And it's not something you can quantify, but I've heard it time and time again from players that you know it, there is an art to understanding how to mentally deal with, hey, I just struck out, and I can't contribute to the team for the next 50 minutes to an hour because I'm not doing anything in the field, right? And so as a young guy trying to establish himself, you want to give that guy opportunities to contribute. The, one of the reasons why I thought it made sense to call up Evan Carter was even if he struggled offensively, you knew he was going to help the team out defensively. And he could have, you know, mentally that, you know, that, that uh, satisfaction of, hey, I'll, I'll get the offense going. Although, you know, it, 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 there was no struggle offensively. But <laughs> if it happened, I can get the offense going. But gosh, you know, I'm, I'm helping the team out defensively. Well, if you're a DH, you're not doing that. And so they got to figure out the right way to work him in. And maybe that is one reason why they send him to AAA to begin the years, because they're not confident in their ability to do so, and they wait for that first opportunity to call him up. Well, I feel like we've done enough grilling you about base, uh, Rangers baseball. So now we're going to pivot to some rapid-fire questions, if, okay. you are, if you are willing. The first half of these are baseball-centric, but then the next half I have uh, taken the liberty to veer away from the sport of baseball okay. in sports in general. So whenever uh, you'll have, I'll give you like five to 10 seconds to answer each of these. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. What happens if it takes more than five to 10 seconds? Do I get like kicked to the behind the glass area with you? <laughs> yeah. You okay. become the producer. Okay. 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 Yeah. I run the board. Yeah. All right. Okay. That's yeah. incentive. Okay. All right. Favorite ballpark other than Globe Life Field? Wrigley Field. Favorite baseball player growing up? Ken Griffey Jr. and Michael Young. Favorite sport other than baseball? Who said baseball is my favorite sport? I don't know. Ooh, ooh, <laughs> yeah. ooh, oh. uh, my first love was basketball, but asking okay. me to choose my favorite sport is like that cliche, pick your favorite kid. I, mm. The sports that are up there, basketball, baseball, football, hockey, soccer, tennis, golf is just a peg behind. Okay. If you could put one player into the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame right now that isn't in, who would you pick? Well, Carlos Delgado, to me, it makes no sense that he's not in. And the other, Gary Sheffield, who just fell off the ballot. I, to me, I, steroid stuff aside, I, I don't understand why those guys aren't in. Oh, what's your favorite ballpark food? I do try a hot dog everywhere I go. Just I think it's a nice 
nice gauge. I, I'm trying to think of something specific. Um, Yankee Stadium has the best media dining. I know I'm exceeding my 10 seconds. I apologize. <laughs> trying to provide different perspectives. Uh, I think San Diego has the best collection of of local flavors brought into the ballpark that okay. aren't chainy or generic like catering stuff. I know several San Diego Padres fans who would be very honored that you said that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Favorite sports movie? Oh, that's so tough. <laughs> uh, I'll say The Sandlot because I feel like I lived that as a kid growing up playing baseball and then getting to broadcast some of his childhood friends at the major league level. Awesome. All right. Favorite hobby? Sport. I mean, I, I love, I, I honestly, I love watching, talking, so I, staying active, playing basketball, hanging with my, my family. Same here. Where's your favorite place to go on vacation or the favorite place you have been on vacation? Well, I'd say Cape Town, South Africa, because mm-hmm. my family's in Johannesburg. Uh, going, I, the, I, I've never been to Italy. That's where I want to go. Uh, domestically, a ski trip with okay. friends is amazing. Okay. What's your favorite planet other than Earth? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Hollywood, Planet Hollywood. Okay, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Spun, that, yeah. that was outside of the parameters, yeah. but you know it works. All right. Or Captain Planet. Okay. Are you guys are you guys too young for Captain Planet? Oh, I yeah, know Planet two. Hollywood. Okay. I know Planet Hollywood. Yeah. Captain not. Planet was like a really the animation. Now that I think about, it, is like so bad compared to modern day animation. That was a, that was a um, a cartoon when I was growing up. Okay. How often do you think you think about the Roman Empire? <laughs> <laughs> I took Latin in high school, so okay. I thought about it a lot more then than I do now. Okay. Uh, Super Mario Bros. or Zelda? Super Mario Bros. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then finally, how do you feel about cranberries? I like cranberries. <laughs> I, first of all, I like the band, the cranberries. Okay. They have a few hits. Uh and yeah, I like cranberries just fine. Okay, and that wraps up the rapid fire corner. Thank <laughs> how, you so much. How do you, okay, so I know the Roman Empire thing was like a TikTok trend, right? It yeah. Was, yeah. Is there the cranberries that just totally random, or is yeah. there was that, that a TikTok was, thing too? That was just some, I, I mean, they know I just come up with things. No, no, no I, yeah. I love randomness. I yeah. just didn't know if that was like I need a, I need young people to help me stay up to date with like these TikTok. Trends. That is absolutely <laughs> yeah. not a trend okay. unless right. I was I were to make it one. Okay, so. yeah. Well, let's let's yeah. yeah maybe we can make it one. Yeah. Good stuff, Jared. That was uh, that was pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah I'm trying yeah. to think if I. Those are always, you always like think. I mean, the the sports movie one's so tough. I think there's so many great sports movies, but yeah. there haven't been any recently. Yeah, yeah. Other than like documentaries yeah. and stuff like that. I yeah. think 42 was the last sports movie that I remember. Like, and you liked lot, it? That well, like yeah, that a lot. That was like a big cultural moment. If yeah, that makes any sense. Because yeah. every single uh, the, the rest of the ones that come out since is just kind of oh look a. Uh, a boxing movie. I mean, I guess Creed maybe could fit. Into yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Champions we, we, was good. Champions, I like that. Yeah. And it's, but uh, have you heard of the Iron Claw that came out recently? It's like about the three. The um, oh, what are the names? I forgot their last name, but they're three brothers that grew up in a and, boxing and, family. Yeah, and, uh-uh. and things like that. It was, it was wrestling. Yeah, in Dallas. Yeah. Um, the oh my gosh, I can I cannot remember Von Erich Brothers. Okay, I, yeah. Okay, yes. From in I, Dallas, yeah. So I, I'm I'm, fam- I'm not a wrestling guy, but I am familiar with the Von Erichs and the very tragic family story. Yeah. Um, I didn't know the name, but I had heard someone on the radio talking about it a few yeah. months ago. Was, was it really, good? It was really good, yeah. Um, that was one of them, that, that, like a really good sports movie that I've seen recently. So th- like, but that wasn't a documentary, that was like a, a movie. It was an actual movie, okay. yeah. yeah. Zach right. Efron's in it. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, Jared, now switching gears, we want to touch on, 
your involvement. Obviously, you're, you're the founder of the Sandlot Children's Charity. You founded it in 2017. Could you tell us a little bit about your work with the charity and, and really why you started it? Well, I think, first of all, I, I, I don't believe that, and we'll just go with athletes. I don't believe athletes have a responsibility to use their platform for anything. I think I, I think they have a responsibility to understand the impact of their platform so they don't spread, you know, I, I shouldn't say bad in, in like my opinion versus yours, but like factually incorrect stuff that influence people. But I think they have an opportunity to do something. And, and I've always felt one of the reasons why I was drawn to sports. You know, I probably talked about it, Ian, when we met a few years ago when I spoke at, uh, you know, one of the classes you were in is that I think sports can impact people. Um, not that other areas of, uh, of the, uh, you know, life or, or hobbies or activities can't, but I've just seen it. I, you know, whether it's a team, uh, an athlete, sports have the ability to make a difference. And uh, I just always told myself that if I ever establish some sort of a platform as a broadcaster, that I wanted to use it. Uh, and I wanted to use my involvement in sports to help others. And there were two things that, you know, really were important to me. One was racial equality. The other was, uh, you know, supporting people with disabilities. I don't have any family members with disabilities that would lead me down that path. It's just a community of people I've always been drawn to, their positivity, their their desire to, to live. And uh, I've always resented the way people put limits on them. And, you know, at the time when I made this decision, this, the social issues uh, that, you know, really moved to the forefront in, you know, the, the pandemic era, it, I mean, to say that racial inequality was not an issue would be absurd, but it just, it wasn't, there wasn't as much support and there weren't as many tangible things that someone without tons and tons and tons of money could maybe achieve other than just my daily life trying to promote equality, right? And, and I continue to do that. There was there were more tangible goals that could be reached in supporting people with disabilities, Uh because I, I, I wasn't going to, I didn't, first of all, I didn't know if I'd raise a penny, but I, I knew I wasn't off the back going to raise millions and millions of dollars. So that's the route I went. And it, it, like I said, I mean, I, I just, I, and I've, I've even more so since, you know, going down this path, falling in love with the, the disability community and, and all the folks who are a part of it, it, either because they do have a disability or the people who try to support those folks. And, um, I just, you know, we we organically, our mission and, and the way we impact that community has evolved as we've learned more and kind of figured out where we fit in. But, you know, the, the foundation of it all is uh, wanting to provide financial support to really it's become organizations who then support kids with disabilities so that they can give these kids the athletic and active opportunities that were so important to so many of us growing up uh, that financially is way more prohibitive for someone with disabilities than it is for someone without. And we've got incredible support from the sports community in DFW, the baseball community at large, and just, you know, the, so many people and businesses and individuals in the area. 
And and you host an annual event called Swinging for a Cause. You guys just held your seventh annual event, and this one was at Globe Life Field. Tell us about what goes on at this event, and just just everything kind of kind of that goes into it. Yeah. So the first, well, five of the first six were at Top Golf. One of those was uh, online because of the pandemic. So, uh, but but for the first six years, our event was at Top Golf. Loved it, but we kind of felt like it was time for a change. And we made the decision before we knew the Rangers would win the World Series and we'd be able to have the trophy at the event that we were going to do it at Globe Life Field. We wanted, we felt like we could make it more inclusive of an event. Uh, it, it more tied to our mission. Uh, it was, it, 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 you know, when I say inclusive, I, I mean not just people with and without disabilities, but uh, people who maybe didn't care about golf. You know that they could go and, and have fun. We, we basically had a field day in the outfield, all sorts of different activities ranging from, uh, you know, a wiffle ball tournament to a penalty kick shootout. We had a, a basketball shootout, a football throw, stuff that, you know, you, you don't necessarily have the ability to do if you go to the state fair. Like our football throw wasn't just, hey, stand in front of a thing five yards away and throw. We kind of gave you the opportunity at 5, 10, 15, 20 yards to make throws at different targets the penalty kick shootout, right? I mean, that's not something you get to do much of. Uh, and so it was a field day at the ballpark. You get to be on the field. You get it, you know, something as simple as playing catch on the field. You can go to the batting cages. You can throw a pitch off the mound and get uh, your velocity measured. But it wasn't a baseball-only event. That was really important uh, to me and, and, and our board. Again, inclusive. Want, you know, want to uh, be able to satisfy a lot of different appetites. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just let's go have fun and be a kid on a you know a major league field and I think I take for granted because I step foot on major league fields for my job for seven and a half straight months uh, how cool it is for someone who doesn't get to do that to just be there and then the fact that it turned out to be the home of the World Series champions obviously made it a little more special and uh, it was it was a lot of fun uh, and we had uh, I think around 800 or so people that attended and we were able to raise we ended up raising with some donations that trickled in after a little shy of 450,000. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Fun. Yeah. Seriously. Con- that's awesome. Congratulations on that. I mean, Thank that's, you. that's, that's huge. And, and I, I guess now the, the, the next step is how, how do people get involved? How can people get involved with the Sandlot Children's Charity? Yeah. So I, I tweet about it incessantly, uh, at Jared Sandler, but the website, pretty simple, the sandlot.org. Um, I guess the ways to get involved, obviously donations, donations are always helpful. They're always important. Uh, buying tickets to our event, uh, you know, our main event, you mentioned Swinging for a Cause, which will be back at Globe Life Field this December. We, we always wait on the NFL schedule to finalize a date uh, because we don't want to have to compete with a Cowboys game. Uh, but it will likely be the first week of December, like it's pretty much been every year. Uh, and, and then we have a happy hour event in the middle of uh, the summer. But, excuse me, we also have an ambassador program which is for people who, you know, they're not on the board or they don't want to be on the board or we don't want them on the board. Uh, and they want to, they want to contribute. Uh, we, you know, for the ambassador program, we set up volunteer opportunities where we go out as a team and volunteer at, at you know, some of these organizations we support. We have social events, so, you know, there's a networking component to it. And then we also provide resources and support for our, our ambassadors if they, you know, if they have an interest or an area of expertise that can help the charity, because we're we don't have any full time employees. We're kind of, you know, mom and pop little engine that could. And so all the support we get is, you know, super helpful. And so we've had some ambassadors who have taken on responsibilities 
for certain areas that have helped us grow as a charity. And and then I think the biggest thing too is with that being said, just spreading the word. You know, you asking about Ian, I appreciate it. Uh, the more people who know about the charity, the you know the more uh, you know the, the the more we get our name out there, the you know bigger impact we can have. For sure. Well, well, just just once again, con- congratulations on everything that you've achieved with the Sandlot Children's Charity and as well as with the Texas Rangers. I mean, again, winning the World Series in the end. I mean, that's that's. It's an amazing thing that not a lot of people can experience, and, and especially for someone like you to to appreciate that is is definitely special. So, um, Jared, lastly, thank you so much for joining our show today. Really appreciate you coming down. We we know it's a long drive for you, but 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 making time for us is 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 really um it's it's greatly appreciated. So I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you so much. Of course. So so folks listening, um. Just, just in the car ride back home, um, online. Be sure to follow Jared at Jared Sandler underscore on Instagram. And then be sure to follow him on Twitter at Jared Sandler. If you guys want to check out the Sandlot Children's Charity, you can go online at thesandlot.org or follow them at Sandlot Charity on Instagram. Um, for us, we've still got a whole show ready to go on this wonderful Monday evening. So stick right here. You're listening to Riff Ram Review on 88.7 The Choice. The following message is brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. The inherent right to work is one of the elemental privileges of a free people. Endowed, as our nation is, with abundant physical resources, and inspired as it should be with the high purpose to make those resources and opportunities available for the enjoyment of all, we approach this problem of re-employment with the real hope of finding a better answer than we have now. Your stuff can be more powerful than you think. Your stuff can be a resource for change. Donate to Goodwill, where your donations help fund job placement and training for people in your community. Goodwill. Donate stuff. Create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. Today, my new dad threw a barbecue. Today, my new son and I threw a barbecue. There were burgers and chicken. I burnt everything. The burgers, the chicken, the salad. Ah! They were delicious. They were awful. And then and then we had watermelon. <laughs> I'm allergic to watermelon. And then we played catch. I broke Mr. Lewis's window. Mrs. Wakeham's window. Mrs. Wakeham's windshield. And then, somehow, my hand. My hand! (laughs) And then my dad even let me drive his car. The hospital's on the right! It was a rough day. It was a great day. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Hey, this is Reba McIntyre, and I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about a serious problem right here in our own backyard. Did you know that there are nearly 16 million kids struggling with hunger in America? That's one out of every five precious children in this country who might not get to eat dinner tonight. But hope is just around the bend because there's enough healthy, nutritious food produced in this country to put a smile on the face of every last hungry kid. And that's when the Feeding America Nationwide Network of Food Banks steps into the picture. They collect surplus food, engaging their communities in solving hunger 
and giving hope to the hungry kids and their families. But they need your help. So join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank. Find out how you can help at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council.